Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the BritFlix podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is writer-director Chris Shepard. Welcome to the show. Hello, nice to see you. <laughs> Indeed, nice to be seen. It is quite surreal, that. It's um, before lockdown, I, I, like many, I wasn't, I wasn't that into Zoom. I didn't use it. I'm not, I not, not that familiar. I think I've done it once or twice, you know, with my arm tied behind my back. Um, and so I did mostly podcasts as audio like audio to audio and didn't, didn't never saw the guest unless they were sat in front of me. And, uh, and since lockdown, there's been this, everyone's comfortable with it. So it's nice to see you. Yeah. It's a good thing, but which is definitely great, isn't it? It's, um, you can do, you can visit the entire world from your living room. It's fantastic. Well, yeah. When I, and I've been, I've been to Georgia in Eastern Europe. I've been to Texas. Oh, you want it to be like Star Trek when you can beam yourself to, that's got to be next, isn't it? Right. We're going to do five great films set in Liverpool. And that's inspired by me sort of saying hello to you on Twitter, as it were, when you were posting updates on progress with your graphic novel, Anfield Road. Yeah. So do you want to give, uh, I guess, a brief synopsis of what that is and also where you're at with it? And we'll, we'll, we'll have a quick chat about that as well. Yeah. Well, uh, Anfield Road is a, is a, a project that I've been working on for quite a while. I've done a lot of short films and a lot of the short films can be um, about my life, about situations, things that have happened to me. Hmm. And uh, I've written a few feature films that have not happened where they were like, more market driven than, than the, um, than, you know, my own sort of storytelling sense. Yeah. Like I made a film about my dad and made a film about my auntie Gladys uh, I made films about different, different, different episodes in my life. It's a bit like therapy, I suppose. And I, uh, I wrote a film about me leaving home and about my mother. And uh, it's and but it didn't, you know, it didn't happen. And then when the lockdown starts, well, I did start before. I did about thirty pages uh, of a graphic novel. Yeah. Um, and then I thought, well, why don't I do this in the lockdown? So I've gone since March. I've done another. 105 pages. Blimey. And I reckon it's about 200 pages long, the graphic novel. And I've really enjoyed it, really. It's been quite quite a good good thing to do. I sort of, uh, it's made me, I've drawn a lot of old buses, uh, a lot of old buildings that are not there. I start like just really researching it, you know, and uh, and I really, uh, I really try to get it like as accurate as I can, you know. It's quite ridiculous, really. Well, I suppose, also, I suppose in, in graphic novel form, you've got no production values outside your imagination, have you? Yeah, it's so I sort of can draw anything, really. I sort of, it's quite fun. I mean, it's a coming of age story about like a character, a lad who's like me. Yeah. And he's uh, growing up with his, uh, his grandmother who adopted him. And he's like coming to take, and he's, he's got his first girlfriend, but he's terrified 
take his girlfriend home because his grandmother's quite domineering. Yeah. So it's about him sort of learning how to stand up to her, really, uh, the narrative. It's I've got to ask big... you, how did you find that sort of transition from from um, from screenplay to graphic novel? Because Alan Moore, famously, you know, the man who doesn't like anything to do with Watchmen, even though it's been made into a TV series and a film, yeah, is yeah. adamant that the graphic novel is its own media, medium even, and the yeah, film yeah, yeah. or TV is it. So how did you find that transition between the two formats? Well, I feel like, because I'm a bit of an oddball, I've done animation, I've done live action, I've done I've made films in different ways, really. But the weird thing with doing the uh, graphic novel is, is I'm making the same decisions as I would do a filmmaker, but, it, but it's happening in ultra slow motion. You know what I mean? Like, normally I would just stand in the room with the actors and say, we'd work through the scene and the scene would get resolved a certain way. But with this, I'm, I'm sort of just drawing it and it's just taking time. And then I sort of, and then it sort of just dawns on me how the character changes. So it's quite, it's quite fun, really. It's like, uh, at first I was terrified of it taking so long. But with the lockdown and everything, I've sort of really got into it, really, just sitting there drawing and, and conjuring up. So I'm doing the same thing I would do with the, with the films, really, just conjuring up this world. And, and also, did you know, the thing I did was, I did one film called Silence is Golden, and I storyboarded it very particularly, and I was really exacting about it. And, and I found that, uh, that I co- when I did the subsequent films, like we, we had a little chat about Bad Night for the Blues, I didn't have much money, so I had to react to the locations, react to the world that I was going to work in. And when you've got less money, you can't, like, a creator. But I feel like with the graphic novel, it's more like Bad Night for the Blues, or more like, uh, sorry, more like Silence is Golden, more like the animation I've done where I've, like, when you're an animator, you're you're like a god. You can, you know, if you say, oh, I don't like the moon now, I'll move it over here, or that house, I don't like it, I'll move it there. Uh, you, you know, you can get what you want. I suppose, in a way, the, gra- the graphic novel's more getting more like that, in a way. Um, but I've never done a graphic novel before. I don't have a clue what I'm doing. So, in, in sense of that time that's taken that you think that you're sensing, um, is that is the benefit of that sort of what a director friend of mine that I work with? He, he likes to. Ref- I mean, it, sometimes it feels like we're doing nothing, but he he describes it as like you need time to percolate on your ideas as much as you need to execute them. And does yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. And does that, me- that that laborious nature of what you're doing mean that you've got time to also consider the wider ideas as well as the specific thing you're trying to draw at the, at the moment? Yeah, well, I'm lucky because I've got a script that I'm working to. Yeah. So it's like I've got a script, it's there, you know what I mean? Mm. And it's been edited. I was very lucky. David Quantic edited it for me. Oh, wow. And so, so it's tighter, you know, and... And then I just worked through it. You know, it's interesting. But what's interesting is, is in the script, you're, you're trying to be economical with dialogue. But in the graphic novel, you start to realise that you you start adding dialogue somehow because it's just the layout of the page. Or some pages, you might have a joke on the end of the page. Oh, right. So it becomes, each page becomes a different entity. It's quite interesting. It's different. It's different. But I go on an instinctive way. And then what I've done is, is that obviously... The other thing you have, if you're doing animated films, the same as doing a graphic novel, is that your drawing uh, changes with time uh-huh. and your characters evolve. So, you know, I know that the the, the initial drawings that I've done, yeah. you know, I'll have to go over them, tweak them, 
But obviously, I don't do that. I try to just keep going forwards. Oh wow! Uh, so, so like in the and same. Then go back, go back over it later on because you, if you keep trying to refine something, yeah, you're going to end up never finishing it. You know. God, that's so like writing, then, isn't it? In a way, because because they always say with writing, you know, get to the end before you start fanning about yeah. with what you've not what what you th- the inconsistencies that you've created because. But I, didn't, I never thought of that, that you might draw yourself away from an original like, original look and feel and go, actually, I prefer... Oh, yeah. It's just the characters, they just ch- they change. But drawing's getting better, you see. It's yeah. the thing. I've drawn solidly mm. uh, for a year. I mean, drawing's getting better. The drawings now are better or more. I think they're better than they were, uh, you know, uh, a year ago, you know. Mm. Um, like I've just, it's interesting as well. What I do is I bounce around. I don't go chronological. Mm. I tend to pick bits. I, I, I tended to do the stuff with the, the grandmother and, and her son. I focused on that because I didn't have enough reference to do other bits. Oh, right. Because I'll take pick photos and look at things. And, and uh, but, but then what, what I tend to do is, is it, like I've got one, I call them scenes because they're, like, they're like scenes in a film. Yeah. Because uh, that's how I've written it. But I had one page where it's just a scene with him and his mum in the bedroom. Hmm. And it goes on for like 10 pages. But, you know, to draw that was blow- was just doing me head in. So what I do is I'll draw five pages of it. And then I'll, I'll, I'll do some bits that are t- a two-page spread. But I'll have like, uh, you know, like a big scene. And I love drawing them. And so then I'll go and do a landscape. You know what I mean? I'll if I'm doing bits with heads and characters talking, it can get a bit repetitive to draw. So then I'll go and do a so I skip around, I'll go and do something from a scene that I've not even started, just to excite myself about it. What out of the pages you've done then, and like you say, drawing the buses being one particular detail you've enjoyed sort of <laughs> picking up on. What 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 iconic images of Liverpool have you from from periods going back have you had fun recreating? Uh, yeah, well, I've, I've spent a lot of time in Everton, really. I've, I've drawn Everton Valley, uh, uh, drawn an ice cream band tearing across down by Shore Street with all the city behind. I did one from the top of uh, Everton Valley where the sun was rising, and it was like uh, the lava buildings in the distance. Like in my films, I would never put the lava buildings in, but I have done it in this. Mm. But I, I've tended to hang around more like Everton and Field to put... Um, uh, Liverpool, Liverpool's in at the football club, the Anfield Road. Obviously, that's where it's set. Mm. Stanley Park. I, did, I just drew one of the Palm House when it was derelict with all graffiti on it. Um, I'm picking things out, but I get big responses when I put uh, images on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, like I did the Royal Liverpool Hospital. People went mad for that. Oh, nice one. Liverpool, you know, people go, oh, Royal Liverpool. And they all start telling stories. I put one of the. King Gary pub or, uh, on Anfield Road, mm-hmm. and people were going mad for that. You know, talking about when they first went in there, and and it's, and, and because it is quite a slow process, I put these images up, just little details of the pages, and people, you know, they respond. You know, when I when I do a landscape, they do go for. It. I actually did one in London where he's on top of a hill, the main character, and he's imagining what um, uh, London would look like, you know, from the viewpoint of escaping Liverpool. Mm. And I spent three weeks drawing this picture of L- London uh, with the sun setting. 
and Concord flying over and the Goodyear airship and all so all kinds of things in there. You know, nice. I put the Royal Iris on 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 the Thames as well because that's <laughs> where it is now. You know, wow. it is on actually on the Thames, but I put it sailing down the Royal Iris. So you start like uh, having a, a bit of fun. I, mean, I did one of Blessington Road and somebody said put a joke in and I put Capaldi's Cafe in in the uh, in the background. Hmm. And that's a, that was a deaf school song, you know, and. Uh, uh, just stuff like that. I've got to put, uh, I put Matthew Street in one. That was a good one. People mm. really liked that. I put, uh, I put the grapes uh, the way it looked like in the 80s. Wow. Uh, you know, stuff I put, I want to put Probe in it. I've not done that yet. Um, but that's in a scene. I'm going to put Probe in it, definitely. I've got what another one where I put... Um, Is that where the, Pete Burns used to work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I put the museum, the main entrance to the museum in one, in one sequence. Um, so I tend to put just bits, you know, but I'm like, I'm doing it for the story, you know. It's yeah, yeah, just, yeah, of course, yeah. Uh, so don't let it uh, rule me. I've just put, I've just been drawing um, Sir Thomas White Gardens in Everton, which that was demolished. That was a scary place. You couldn't survive walking past there without getting beaten up. So I'll, I'll, put, I'll put that in there, you know. Uh, but, it, but, it's, but it's like, given, given it's a film that's obviously, you know, based on you and then therefore the graphic novel is, it's like, it's you're you're able to almost like weirdly without being too convoluted about it. You're like you're like canonizing your own memories, aren't you, by making it into yeah. a graphic novel in some well, ways. You know, like a yeah, things that are gone. I mean, I think that's yeah. one thing I was gonna say with the we were talking about the films today. About growing up in Liverpool, we you know, it was very much like it was like a wasteland and everything was like uh, the layouts of the streets, slum clearance, all the houses are gone. Uh, and all that left was the roads and the pubs with the standalone things left. Just pubs with all the houses gone, but the streets with the layout of the streets. And I suppose I always used to fantasise uh, when I was a kid about before and after scenarios because people would say to you in the pub, oh, do you remember when there was that factory there? I remember Alexis Self and Lee said in a, in, a, in a comedy routine, he said, do you remember that time when you looked at the wasteland and then there was a there was an amazing cocktail bar and a Graf Zeppelin would come and people, it would tie up and people would come off and get on and, and they'd float off and, and they'd go, it's all gone now, it's all gone. And I think in a way it was like, Liverpool for me was like the before and after place. And I suppose in a way we're looking at films it would always blow my mind looking at old films where you would see Liverpool, all these places that were like all gone. And, you know, they're quite grand and amazing. Like Liverpool in the 50s was amazing. We're going to move into five great films set in uh, Liverpool. And just before we start, I'll give uh, people the praise that I gave you good self before we started. This is, this is going to be five films. I mean, that is, it doesn't mean we're going to only talk about five, but we're going to focus on five. All, set, all set in and around Liverpool, or at least a good part of them shot in Liverpool. And um, it's the five formats so of five films times five minutes per film. So when, when, uh, when Chris hears, that'll be the that'll be the signal for us to move on to the next film. So I mean, in Magnus Magnuson style, I will let. You know there is there is there is leeway to to finish, but if you really want to get there, you can just stop talking if you want. I won't I won't be offended. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's plenty to talk about, isn't it? <laughs> Indeed. So so let's start as we mean to go on, and we'll go with Waterfront from nineteen fifty. 
don't come that on me. I know you know I spoke. I'm not your property either. I bring you out and I give you a good time. And what do I get in return? The pleasure of my company. And that's more than you deserve. Now, this film, Waterford, 1950, I uh, only recently saw this um, uh, on Talking Pictures TV, which is like become the oracle for films, really, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It was directed 1950 by Michael Anderson, and it stars Richard uh, Robert Newton, who we all love, mm. is obviously played Fagin in Oliver. Indeed. Kathleen Harrison and uh, Kenneth Griffiths, but it was also Richard Burton, a very early film uh, by Richard Burton. Wow. And I think I, I was really, as I said, I was really uh, into the idea of what was Liverpool like in the 50s, mm. you know, what was it like in the past. It was such a grand place. And we'd have hints and remnants of it. And as I was growing up in the 80s, a lot of places changed. I remember I was on on a, on a bus with me, uh, with my grandmother. We went past uh, Tate and Lyle. Mm. And then uh, I remember, like, a couple of weeks later, we went back again and it was gone. It's <laughs> like, you know, everything was getting demolished. But Waterfront's quite an interesting film because it's, it's um, a lot of it is shot in Bootle and it features very heavily the Overhead Railway. Um, and the other thing I really like about it was uh, it, it's the, it was the story of a merchant sailor. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, who goes away, Robert Newton's this alcoholic. He goes away, he's never seen again. And he goes off on a ship. So Richard Burton wants to be a merchant Navy guy as well. And um, and it, uh, it tells that story, which is a very Liverpool story. I was going to say, and, it is, isn't it? It's a very Liverpool story. And I, I always used to go to the pubs and talk to people from the merchant Navy and they would talk about, oh, yeah, that time, like, I was on the boat, the Lancaster bomber landed on the boat and this happened and that happened. And I'd be thinking, oh, bloody hell, what a load of shit, you know. <laughs> and then, but, of course, as time went on, you know, I really miss all those guys now. You think, God, they'd be really amazing. They went across the Atlantic, a bit like in that film, Greyhound, the yeah. new... Um, uh, the new... Uh, the, the, that uh, new film, The Towns, you know, the... Uh, um, and uh, which chronicles, it's got Stephen Graham in it, uh, about um, the Merchant Navy, they crossed and they had no guns on their boats, no got shot and, oh my God, it was a carnage. Mm. Uh, but but the, the film's got, this film has great stuff in it. Really, I would recommend it, especially for the, the overhead railway footage is really amazing. Mm. Um, it all culminates in Walton Prison uh, uh, where, um, oh God, I can't remember the story now, but it, it, Robert Newton ends up in prison, and his son goes to see him. It's a really sad scene. I was going to say it's it's about it's about that kind of going away and then coming back unannounced, isn't it? And it's the resentment of those that stayed. And, yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. You've got yeah. the person who 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 knows who knows that, but also wants to pick up his life where he left off. You know, as often people do when they when they when they come back, it's like I've been away. I just as long as you've waited for me, then I'll crack on. Eh? And everyone's <laughs> like, oh, we've we've got on without you. We don't need you. Um, and obviously, like you say, of Liverpool, that is, you know, Liverpool being a port city, that wouldn't have been that uncommon, would it, as a as a tale for many a family? You know, if it got too much, the Merchant Navy was an escape route to at least buy time, wasn't it? Even if it wasn't forever. Oh, yeah. I think it's not, I mean, a lot of Liverpool films, a lot of people, Scousers will say, oh, there's no Scouse accents in this film. Oh, you know. But it is a very Liverpool-feeling story, you know, even though, you know... Um, 
it's and it, uh, you know I've just I've got the locations up here. I love looking at realstreets.com mm. because I love looking because it gives you the before and after shots mm. of uh, of locations. And sometimes it's quite surprised. I remember looking up Saturday night, Sunday morning. I'm finding out the part of it, the bit where Albert Finn, the, the old guy throws the brick through the window and uh, Albert Finney calls the woman a swivel-eyed get and tells the guy to run from the coppers, which is a great scene. That was all shot in Clapham. Wasn't oh, really? It wasn't in Nottingham. It was in Clapham. And you look it up and I cycle down there to go and see the street and it's completely different now. But, I mean, the, 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 all the locations in... Um, Waterfronts, you know, they're all gone, really. All uh, it's interesting though what you say about the accents because that was something that struck me when I first saw the magnet. And uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And you got the young lad who sounds like he's just come out of prep school, and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's a lot of the peers in the film. There's a really interesting scene with Richard Burton, and he's in in like a terminus. It's got all the bus numbers written up. You see the 17, see the 19. And it must have been oh the terminus, you know, where you can switch from the tram to the uh, the bus. So there we go. So that was the uh, the uh, waterfront. Okay, so we're going to jump. We're going to jump eight years to nineteen fifty eight for the for violent playground. Oh, oh my god! Well, we all I was totally obsessed by this film as a kid. I remember seeing. I've it. not seen this one. Oh my god! It's just amazing. It's uh, it stars uh, Stanley Baker. Uh, playing a, a, a hard, but he plays a, an aspiring uh, detective, but he gets stuck on juvenile liaison. Movies. He has to, uh, but he wants to investigate a series of arsons. Right. Um, uh, but they've been done by David McCallum, who's this most unlikely hero, unlikely terror where you've ever seen. Mm. It's got Peter Cushion as the priest. Um, who's going to save him. It's got Anne Hayward. I've always really fancied Anne Hayward. She plays the stoic Irish uh, woman, his sister, you know. And, oh, it's absolutely great film. Quite hilarious at times. Don't go, cop. Don't disappoint us. That's it, cop. We don't want you to go. Stick around. Have a dance. Run! I'm not going to run. I'm not going to dance. Do you want to do an overcup? Break. I say break. Come on, let's go. Party's over. What's on, Johnny? What's it tonight, Johnny? That's it, Johnny. What's the form tonight? I got something I want to do. I... Why don't we give that cop a going over, eh? He does no harm. He's been asking questions. Well, that's right, Johnny. He asked Alexander all about the valley. It opens with a view of Everton, which is staggering, of Everton Valley. Right. Looking out over the docks. And it's got this song. Like a teenage hoodlum song going, you gotta play rough, rough, rough. You gotta play tough, tough, tough. <laughs> gotta play rough and tough, cause she's my baby. Oh, and it's like, oh, it's great. It's, 
and uh, loads of Everton in it. It's that loads of Scotland Road, uh, and that's oh. like, and that's, and, and given that's 1958, that obviously predates the kind of Mersey Beat explosion, and everything, doesn't it? That's... Oh yeah, well this is more like Black, uh, what was it Blackboard Jungle? Okay, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, so it's more that vibe, really, like the the Tearaway Hoodlum, you know. Mm. 50s rock and roll, you know. It's, you know, it's almost it's, like you can set your watch, can't you? It's like it's like teenagers have happened post-war. The world is yeah. in chaos because the adults don't know. They've never experienced this before, which is young people with a mind of their own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. It's it's hilarious. It's great. A lot of it was filmed in Gerard Gardens, which is sadly gone now, which is a 1930s, uh, like, council block. It was just uh, behind... It was actually right behind the... Um, uh, the main museum mm. and that was interesting when they knocked it down I took some pictures of it I have them I could put them on your, your site if you want yeah but they painted on the on it violent program 30 years on and they painted the, on the front of the Gerard Gardens just before it was demolished oh really and I always remember thinking like wow you know uh, I thought I was the only person on the planet to ever watch violent playground as I taped it on VHS I was so into it it's like it's very similar to the hell drivers Okay, okay. You know, it's like a fifties film. It's a big cult. It's but it's culty because it's almost so bad. It's good as well. Okay. It has this feeling of just being quite like, uh, you know. Uh, so it's quite. You know. So in a sense, it's quite heightened because I think I think Waterfront is you'd argue is is trying to go for some sort of realism, isn't it? In its in its drama, yeah, 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 yeah. and in yeah. kind of in the way that post war films tended to do. Whereas this is like. This is the youth going wild, isn't it? I suppose so. It ha- it's, it, there's a sense of being set free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It's that sort of fifties, uh, you know, uh, rebelling against the war generation. I suppose the youth going mad in it. You know what I mean? Uh, other locations in, in this, looking at it, uh, is uh, Central Station's in it. Now, Central Station was a fantastic uh, railway station. Right. It's a shopping centre now, next to Lewis's. And that's in it. It's Central Station also features in, um, I think it's in A Hard Day's Night. Also, there was three mainline stations in Liverpool. There was Lime Street, Central Station, and then there was Exchange right. Station as well. And then it got ran over there when I was a kid. And, <laughs> so it's got a vivid imprint on my brain, that station. Uh, so Central Station's in, in it briefly. You see outside it, that's great. Also, uh, some hotels there by the side of Lime Street as well, which are Grace. And there's a great scene uh, uh, by Commutation Row, which is like just by the uh, the art gallery where David McCallan has a fight with somebody in the uh, in a hotel. It's great. The hotel is actually the back on School Lane, which is like uh, uh, the back of Woolworths or something like that, uh, by the old post office, that pub. Uh, so it's all in Liverpool. Great stuff. I mean, it, there's one bit where they have a Scotland Road school, like a school where he ends up doing a siege, you know, like a, a hijacks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He captures all the kids and as a ransom. But that's actually in London. Oh, wow. Uh, that scene. Uh, and they put a sign on it, on the building. It says, uh, it says Liverpool Plastics Corporation Limited. And uh, that's that's actually in um, in London. But the rest of it is shot in Liverpool. It's by Basil Deard in the film. Um, I'm trying to see where it was. Uh, the, there we go. Well, that's it. So that was in, actually in oh, Sutton Street in London, Commercial Road, East London. So so that's Violent Playground. That's where it checks sounds out. Ama- sounds amazing. Sounds amazing. Yeah, it's on I mean, talking pictures a lot. Well, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll note it and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll set... 
I, I haven't got the VHS anymore. I, I can set the TiVo for it, though, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Now, this is, the next film we're going to do is from 1970, and I'm, it's like, this is like I said to you before we started recording, this is one of the, this is one of the main reasons I do this, is, is because guests come on and introduce me to a film that is sort of my street when I, when I see what it's got to offer. I can't believe I haven't heard of it. And this is 1970s The Reckoning. So, I mean, can I, I just give a brief introduction? So IMDb says, Michael Marler, a successful businessman in London, is about to make his way to the top. The death of his father brings, it, <laughs> brings him, after five years, back to Liverpool, where he's confronted with his lost Irish roots. He finds out that his father died because of a fight with an Anglo-Saxon teddy boy. You're like, where are we going with this? Nick. Nick. Hello, Ma. Oh. you come home. And not before time, neither. Hello there, Kath. You haven't changed a bit. This is a great film. I mean, this is by the great director, uh, Jack Gold. Uh, I don't know if you know his stuff. I don't know. I know what Jack, Jack do. Well, he he directed the Naked Civil Servants. Oh wow! Was, okay. Yeah, and he did lots of great TV stuff. Because I, I um, I'm friends with um, uh, Carl Davis. You know the composer. Yeah. Because uh, he's married. He's he, he's married to Jean Bose, who was in Bad Night for the Blues, one of my short films. And Jack Gold did some great stuff. Uh, he did also did the Bofors Guns, which is an amazing film with, with Nicole Williamson, right, okay. who is a real like high energy actor. And this film is really great. It's um, uh, he plays a businessman, Nicole Williamson, who's a bit of a bastard. He's a real thrusting businessman. He's a big into shagging. He's be- he's into like rough sex with his wife. That's how the film opens. It's quite a bizarre opening. Uh, but he finds out his dad's being uh, be- beaten up and he goes back to Liverpool. It's really moving that bit when he goes back to Liverpool. In what way? Drives up there. It's just, they, they, they play this really amazing track on it um, uh, when he finds out his dad is uh, dies and then he walks, he walks around the streets. I mean, it, it, the beginning's got bits of, it, there's bits that are shot over the Mersey so that they can get the lava buildings uh, in shot. Yeah. Uh, but but then the next minute he's driving in Everton. But what, this film features um, this great location called Havelock Street. Now in Everton Valley, like when I was a kid, uh, I used to fantasise about what was there because it has all these like very steep hill Everton Valley. Mm. Uh, and at the top of St George's Church, you can see the whole of Liverpool. Like in my graphic novel, I've done the cover, and the cover is that view. Yeah. So I used to go there as a teenager, and I used to think about where well, would be when I was fifty. Do you know what I mean? Or yeah. what, would I still be alive when I was fifty? Do you know what I mean? And this film is all filmed there. It's amazing, all in colour, and he wanders the streets, and it's uh, really amazing. Actually, the locations. I mean, for anybody uh, for anybody who doesn't know it like I didn't, I mean, watching the trailer. And it's and we said before we started recording, this is the year before Get Carter, but it has it very much has that vibe of of Get Carter to it. Well, the other thing it has in it, which is really mega, it has this um, uh, Rachel Roberts is in it, and she's one of my favourite actors ever. She's in uh, Saturday Night Sunday Morning. Mm. She's in all the Lindsay Anderson's Lindsay Anderson yeah, films. Yeah, yeah. She tragically she commits suicide. Uh, uh, in real life, uh, but she was just amazing. I really feel for her uh, as the wife in Saturday Night Sunday Morning. Uh, 
she's just she's just and she has she's a married woman she has an affair with him and um and there's a great sequence in there hmm. where they go to a bingo hall and they have wrestling and they have a big fight oh my god it's amazing that all the costumes the clothes that's all filmed in liverpool it's just amazing all our sequence and um, he's just coming to terms with the death of his dad. He ends up having retribution, but that bit where he, he ends up beating the teddy boy guy up uh, is actually filmed in Slough. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, so it's not that bit's not in Liverpool. You know, so, so the, the, rest, is, the wrestling scene. I mean, this is one of the things. I that think is so. Yeah, that's in Liverpool. You say? The, I think so. Yeah, yeah. It's all interiors. It may not be. Because it's because uh, it is it does it does feel and maybe it's just the the color or the the feel of the film or something but it feels like a genuine document of the time like you know oh yeah yeah totally you know Rachel Roberts has this amazing dress on with with this sort of uh, you know cutaway sleeves and everybody's got back home tear and oh it's it's amazing you know the bingo caller and all that oh it's it's just uh, oh I love to go to that club wouldn't you. <laughs> I mean, my last, my last go, my last night on Liverpool was a long time ago now. Um, not, I mean, not, not, not aeons ago, but it's a few years. And I, I was in, it was, it was up by the Philharmonic and um, just down the road from the from the pub itself. That's by the uh, the, the with the ornate toilets. Um, oh, was that the dog? Yeah, the dog barking. Sorry, um, and. I went to a club just down from the Philharmonic and it was like a basement and it felt like we we're in a 60s club. It was it was like garage rock and stuff. And I and I kid you not, a gang of teddy boys came in. <laughs> okay. in, in in 21st century Liverpool. I was like, this is too and there was generations as well. It was like our fellas and guys who were 20, about eight of them, all with the club. Oh, and it was just like properly surreal. But because we were in a room playing like sixties and music and and late rock and roll, you didn't. It didn't feel out of place either. At the same time, you know, obviously you walk out the door, it is. But when you were in there, it felt it felt fine. It was mental. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. I've got a character in my graphic novel. Uh, it was a teenage boy I went to school with, and he was dressed like a teddy boy. It was mm. always one, isn't it? <laughs> well, I mean, my, I, I'm I'm an eighties kid, and that was that was where the rockabilly and the psychabilly was a was a phenomena. You know, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the 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 quiffs going to ludicrous levels. Um, right, we're gonna we're gonna jump just one year for your next one, and this one I'm again a, a, a delighted to be introduced to it because Dashiell Hammett's um a big a big favour of mine. I love the uh, I love the hard boiled characters, uh, the, the the people you could beat to a pulp and they get up and go, is that all you've got? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is Gumshoe from 1971. What what is it you were? How did you come across this yourself? Well, this this film's become quite obscure now. It's by Stephen Frears, yeah. obviously. We all know Stephen Frears. Of course. And it was quite quite an obscure film. It was, it was on a lot of TV when I was a kid. Mm. Uh, whereas the reckoning was quite not, but wasn't on that. Or, you know, that was more obscure. But Gumshoe was big, but it's been forgotten a bit recently. And um, it's very lush film. It, they obviously spent a lot of money uh, making it. So it's quite joyous to watch because, you know, it, it, it stars this uh, guy who's a nightclub entertainer played by Albert Finney, the great Albert Finney, mm. um, who's a part-time sleuth. All over the city, it was an ordinary day for most people. 
My name's Eddie Ginley, a small-time bingo caller wanting to be a big somebody. That day was my 31st birthday. I could have been home blowing out my candles, instead of which I was helping my psychiatrist keep count of my marbles. The count was going slow. It's your turn, Doc. I can't think of anything to say. Well, you should say think. What about your mother? Did you tap pencils when you were a lad? I'm not a Freudian, Eddie. I know, Doc. A dab, a few potatoes like the next gazebo. How's the act coming? Fabulous. I topped the bill. Okay, so I announced the bingo. Is it a crime? Eddie, what do you want to do? You've asked me that question for a year. But you haven't answered for a year. I want to write the Maltese Falcon, I want to record Blue Suede Shoes, and I want to play Las Vegas. They've done the first two. That's the rumour. Lots of stuff in Liverpool. It was filmed... Um, uh, all of town is in it. My brother used to get so frustrated. Oh, he would get so frustrated about this. Because he'd be saying, he'd be like a purist about, loca- you know, about locations in film. Because yeah. one bit, they drive into the Mersey Tunnel. Yeah. And then they drive out again uh, <laughs> on the same side. Because, you know, he was like, I suppose it makes for a good shot, you know, like being in Liverpool. You, yeah, you yeah, drive yeah. into the Mersey Tunnel. It's like a Liverpool location. And um, I'm just looking through now on realstreets.com and there's loads of stuff for town. It really lush colour. Loads of stuff down in Toxteth, in uh, uh, Lockhart Street. That looks great. There's the Herculaneum Bridge. Now, this is an interesting one uh, in Toxteth. Right. Which is, I think, a bridge that went to Herculaneum Docks. Now, this is featured, I think it's in Waterfront as well. Uh, it's It was a feature, It was a good location because, it, you know, you'd see all the docks. Hmm. So I think it got quite used quite a bit in films. Um Lime Street as well as in it. Let's just see what else is in it. Oh, the bridge going over the Runcorn uh, Bridge. I love looking out of that. You know, when you get the strobing from the railway bridge, the slats. Mm. That's the be- that's the best bit of animation ever, in, in, in real life animation. Uh, I'm just flicking through, looking. And how does how does Liverpool function as a as a as a backdrop for a for a, a, a sort of private dick story? Well, he's, he works in his club, you see, and yeah. it's all. Uh, I'm just looking it up now. It's it's in, um, but the Broadway Club, which is in Norris Green, I think it's still there. My dad's so neck of the works, woods. So he works there, and that, that's really featured in it. He does a nightclub act, hmm. and uh, the other big scene in it, the other big Liverpool scene, is uh, he goes to Falconer Square and he he throws a bomb through a window and the house blows up. Oh, wow. So that was a big thing to shoot this big explosion mm. in Falconer Square, you know. Must have been a big thing, do you know what I mean? Mm. Uh, uh, so, but it's this bit shot in London as well, by the looks of it. So it's a mixture of things, really. Um, it's a cracking, crack but it's because it's so well shot, it's really, um, really lush, you know, you see. And, and yet the, the liver buildings are still black. And then also, you know what I mean, like the, the proper black lava buildings. Lime Street is in it again. The central station's in it. You can see all the platforms. There's a bit of exchange station as well. So, like they've done one sequence, so they've intercut three stations. Um, you know, so it's really, um, it's quite lush. I think it's fascinating because I, I think I said to you before we started recording, like I recently watched Pulp, which was... Um, Michael Caine's follow-on to Get Carter, which is very much a heightened private investigator type story where where someone who's not an investigator ends up doing 
the private investigator trope and uh, to solve the mystery. And it just becomes a bit of a kind of almost like um, Adventures of Don Quixote in the end. It's like, what the hell is he searching for, you know? But but, yeah, yeah, but he yeah. can't stop he can't stop the quest. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's yeah. I think it is. It's, it is all. I think Liverpool is. I mean, we talk. Think about Liverpool and films. It's so many times now. Like the, like the Liver Buildings is. He's walking down the sides of the Liver Buildings in in in, um, mm. in Gumshoe, and that's getting used a hell of a lot now for New York. You know, you see. Yeah, well, it, it, it always makes me laugh. There's New York, but then there's also when you see the shooting schedule for Peaky Blinders, which is obviously a very Birmingham set <laughs> uh, TV drama, and yet a lot of it's shot around Liverpool. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's sort of, I think it's, um, yeah, it's become the go-to, isn't it, really? It's funny. Like, I was watching It's a Sin the other night, and it, they made the town all, the side of the town all look like Savile Row. Oh, really? It's like New York. I mean, I love. I mean, I must admit, it's one of my favourite things about about filmmaking, which is that we're told the camera never lies, but in cinema, the camera's a right lying get. You know, it's oh, like yeah, 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 it's yeah. like there's a there's a Jimi Hendrix biopic, and swinging sixties London is Dublin. Yeah, yeah. Well, by educating Rita, you know, they did it for so they could get the funding, hmm. uh, but they shot it in Dublin. It's a bit of a shame because I think that does detract from the story, really. Well, I, I was talking. I, I interviewed the um, the guy, the, the director of um, Lorcan Finnegan, who directed the film Vivarium. And I don't oh, know if yeah. you've seen that film about a couple no, who buy a house it. on this kind of almost like Stepford Wivesy kind of estate, but they're the only people on the estate. And it's like an Escher staircase trap. You can never get off the estate. And um, he said to me that when they're out on the garden in the front, it's like like these like two up, two downs. He said, when they're out in the garden, we're in a studio on a green screen in Belgium. He said, when they go inside and we cut to the living room, we're in we're in a studio set in Dublin. And that was kind yeah. of and it's and when you watch the film with that in mind, it's so it's totally surreal. Yeah, yeah. Well, we said we were talking about like uh, Terence Davies, and I thought I thought about uh, picking up Time and City, but then that's a bit of a cop out because it's a documentary, so that's different in it from. Well, before we get into yeah, the last one, let's just talk about Time the City, though, because I think I think what's beautiful about it is that it, in a way that you were talking about some of the memories you've been able to capture in your, in your graphic novel, is that his footage reminds you of what a fucking state a lot of cities were in after the war. I mean, there's one bit in it where I saw it when it when it came out. I was in this, I saw it in the cares in yeah, Doro, and uh, and I think it was by the time of my birthday, it was December. I sat there, watched it, and it was the bit where um, he has the bit where he has Everton and has all the tower blocks and the piggeries, the kids playing, and he has this really beautiful sort of Mantovani type strings, and he plays it so it's beautiful. And I started crying my eyes out in the cinema, you know, because mm. um, it's seeing that. World, because I'd lived in London and I'd done a seeing it like that and seeing it being beautiful. Because I think the dereliction is beautiful. I love it. I mean, I, it, doesn't he say that on the film anyway? Like, he doesn't he say it's like it was a playground for children, but obviously it was a blight for adults. But for kids, it was just an just one big adventure playground with no health and safety. I suppose. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, you it's know, crazy. It's, it's only when it? you look back as an adult, isn't it? You realise that. It was. I mean, I remember the interview. I mean, it sounds like a crass comparison. I remember an interview with James Herbert, who wrote the Rats, and he was oh, growing yeah. up in a certain part of East London, which where the 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 um, the slum clearance and the post-war devastation wasn't wasn't being cleared up. And he wrote it as an angry man, in the sense of 
if you don't clear this up soon, giant rats are going to come and kill us all. Like that was kind yeah. of part of his response to his built environment, which I think is yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the most Liverpool film I've seen, I would say, probably is just the voices still lives. Mm. Uh, but I think, I don't know whether, I can't remember if there's any locations in there because it's all, it's all interiors. You know what I mean? It's not like, uh, you know, he's in the cinema, but you don't know what cinema. He's just in, in the cinema with a beam of light on him or something. Or he, Mm. You know, or they're in the living room, or you know, I mean, it doesn't. It's not. It's interesting, Terence Davies. He doesn't. He he shows it more into the memory of a place, which is probably more powerful than. Which is why, which is why you can add the music and give it that sense of the ethereal, rather than the gritty reality of it. It's like elevate it rather than do it down, because you can't. The memory stays, doesn't it? And it's associated with lots of things. It's not just the aesthetic, is it? No, yeah, yeah, that's it, yeah. So we're going to jump to your final choice of your five, which is, yeah, yeah. which is, which was uh, at my at my nudge nudge insistence, um, because in a way, this is this is this is something that when I was a kid growing up, I remember watching this with um, with my dad, and I've no growing up in Manchester and and, and just growing not, obviously not going to clubs. I was too young. I had no idea of this element of Liverpool culture at all. And my dad told told me stories about how um, one of his neighbours in Turning Crescent in Norris Green wouldn't have anything green in the house. He was was that Protestant, you know what I mean? It was like, he said, he he told me, he said, what did he say? He said, he got got beaten up once because they caught him coming to the street on a green bike. <laughs> you know, it's like, and I was like, I was like, you know, as a, as a, as a teen, I was like, in, in, I was like, what that really happened? Like, because to me, then that made it seem such a foreign land. But then this drama comes along, and it's like, there's no surprise. That's it. So we're t- I'm, t- I'm indeed talking about no surrender from 1985. Oh yeah, well, I mean, to be fair, the most Liverpool film ever. Is always going to be pleased there, really. I mean, yes. I'm pleased He's the best, isn't he? Yes. I mean, he is so um, the comedy, the drama, a GBH, the boys, the black stuff. I mean, bloody hell! I mean, they just, they just, it's amazing. But I mean, No Surrender is just fantastic film, and it does sum up. Like when I grew up in Everton, it was always very like. I remember I used to walk home. Well, but my mother brought me up. I didn't bring me up to be religious. I didn't understand what religion was. Yeah. I didn't know what anything was. But I used to walk home sometimes with a girl. who's quite fancy. I tried to tickle her, the woman who, uh, the girl who, when she was playing the big drum in the Orange Lodge. But I didn't have a clue what the Orange Lodge was. You know what I, mean? <laughs> I was totally useless. Anyways, but this film obviously has that clash of cultures of the Orange Lodge and everything. And, and uh, this film has it all, doesn't it? Like, all the liber- but we've not really talked about, uh, like, like, I was just looking at the locations here, obviously, this film starts where you see Liverpool in the background, mm. film from uh, across the water. But I mean, then it cuts to the um, uh, the, the Holy Land, the streets that look down onto the docks that are inbred, which have to be the most filmed Liverpool locations <laughs> ever. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah, that's the number one. With Michael Angelis coming out the house and all that, and, uh, those streets. Oh my god, there must be a film crew there all the time. Do you know what I mean? But a bit, the film has lots of. Um, Cantrell Farm in it as well, bits in it. And there's a bit where the 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 the, uh, the old blind um, guy, uh, is it uh, Paddy Burke, uh, Ian Hart's going to mug him. I'm friends with Ian. And Ian was like, oh, yeah, I'm in that. 
my, my, my character name was something like Distant. Uh, it was I can't remember what it was now. Oh, what was it called? You have to look it up. It's uh, it says something like Distant Thug One or something. He's called it. He said that was his character name. Really? Do you know what I mean? He didn't have a name. You know what I mean? Anyway, but uh, uh, which which made me laugh. But um, uh, but again, this is filmed in bizarre place. Like when the. Uh, J.G. Devlin gets picked up. He's picked up in a council state in London, actually. Chris, Ian plays Uncertain Menace. Uncertain Menace, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> he says, he says, I'm uncertain. I said, I was watching Billy. I said, I was watching No Surrender. I saw you in there. He goes, oh, yeah, I play Uncertain Menace. He texted me. Like, and you've got, you've got Joe, you've got Joe McGann as second policeman. Oh, yeah. You've got Elvis Costello. And Elvis Costello. As the bad um, uh, magician, there's loads of people in it. It's great. Bloody hell, I, tell you, I, I never know. I, Linus Roach, obviously, who would have been a very young uh, Ulster. He, Linus Roach of Bill Roach fame, the son of. Yeah, yeah. He plays an Ulster boy in it. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? I mean, it is a great movie. Oh, it's a great premise. I mean, the most bizarre bit of location in it is it says uh, on uh, realstreets.com yeah. that the nightclub that. Uh, where it all takes place, where Michael Angelis becomes the manager of. Yeah. It's actually a, it's a, it built in front of a hangar at Burton Wood Airport. So that doesn't exist. That's uh, artificial. Right. Uh, and so the, the club is on it. And I was always obsessed by Burton Wood Airport as a kid because I think when you drive out of Liverpool on the M62, the motorway cuts across the, the main runway of Burton Wood. I don't know if it's still there. Uh, you know, because it was an American Air Force base just outside Liverpool. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah, used in the Second World War. There's bits of old swan, and, old swan, and it's all. But it, it's a mixed bag. Uh, no surrender. I mean, I, th- I mean, there's 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 many an absurd moment in No Surrender, but I think I think when the um, when the band start playing. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of it's it's beautifully accurate and ridiculous at the same time. Oh yeah, it's be- it is great, isn't it? Listen to me before it's too late, and it's not a word of a lie. We're all going on a cruise, but it's gonna come from the sky. We're gonna die, 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 die. We're gonna die. Look at me! I'm young and free! Look at you! Bone your muscle used to be! Old and twisted! You call the shots! You've lived your life! You've tied the knots! We're gonna die, 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 die! We're gonna die! We're gonna die! No! That's Frank. You better get Frank.
Benadil. I love Benadil says, he says, uh, are you leaving your car there? He goes, yeah. He goes, why was there a problem? Says Michael Angelis. Uh, uh, poor Michael Angelis. He was the ugly one. He was, he was the best. He said, there, he said there, you leave your car there, mate. He says, yeah, yeah. Why was there any problem? He says, no cars ever, ever survived overnight in the car park, boss. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, it was like that outside our house. If you parked the car outside our house, it would be gone within five minutes. You know, it'd be stolen. It'd be gone. So, I mean, that period of the 80s, it was sort of, just made me laugh, you know, the idea that no car can survive in the car park. <laughs> but it's such a, it's such a, I mean, it's such an amazing premise, isn't it? Michael Angelis' his character is, has arrived on his first day. And I just, the idea that there's, as much as we know what the cock up is, there's, the story isn't about who did this or why did this. It's like, how do we get through this? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that's what Bleasdale's good at, isn't he? Yeah. He sort of looks at, you know, the absurdity of everything, you know, or the absurdity of mm. of the Catholics and the Protestants, puts them all together. We see how ridiculous it all is. And the band and the music, the, everything's ridiculous. Because the band itself, you think like 1985 Liverpool, you had all kinds of music exploding all over. The place might have been, you know, having a tough time as a city, but, but culturally the, what it was exporting to everywhere was really exciting. So I guess everybody would have been, would have been, if you were unemployed, you're in a band, you know, that was a, a way of not being unemployed, I suppose. Yeah, we were all in bands. I was in bands myself and we were all either in bands. It was funny, wasn't it? Funny. It was a great period, really. Uh, what I think gets lost a lot in, in, in sort of contemporary dramas that try and look at things that are outside the kind of shishi middle-class world of, of, of drama is that you don't get the sense of, of, um, of any sneering at all. This is all coming from No, no. It's 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 it nobody's guilty of the life they're leading. They're leading a life and they're surviving it, enduring it, and enjoying it. Yeah, well it's like I think about like when I was in about, uh, Paul Codman's in the band in No Surrender. And I was I was actually in a series called uh, One Summer. Oh yeah, no, I remember I, that one. I, I think he's, and I uh, was, that's where I met Ian Hart, the bit where the knife stabs the kids. Hmm. Paul Codman's the knife. Oh wow! And I was by next to him. I had a speaking part in it, but my brother got a uh, dust. He broke his leg, got industrial compensation when he worked in um, Camelards. And I sort of uh, he booked a trip to America, and I, I, you know, I had a speaking part. But I ended up being an extra, and uh, but I remembered that they scoured all the local schools in Everton. Mm. You know, and then I ended up being in this Willie Russell play on TV. Pretty mad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but that was good for me because I saw how it worked. I saw all the trucks. I saw how they're making the film. Because and, and, that there was one summer in, um, and is it called day out, the day out or something with the school? Oh, our wow, day out. Oh, God, that's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, Willie Russell. Oh, that is brilliant. We should have picked that. I mean, that is so funny. That, that is so funny. But we were all so obsessed by that in school. Do you know what I mean? No, I was looking. I was looking enough, I was looking enough to be able to, because of the power of the internet. I, was, I, got, I got I got a second-hand copy of No Surrender script and of Day Out as well. Oh wow, wow! So they, and then look, they are they, they they as you can as you wouldn't be surprised to learn they absolutely sing off the page. You know, you don't even you don't you don't even need you, you know the writing of Russell and Deesdale is so vivid and and rich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could almost throw oh. my computer. It makes me want to throw my computer out and give it up because you like you think. I'm ever, I could ever get to be this good. It's all observation, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's all, you know, the 
Well, even like, you know, shake hands in uh, the Boys to Black stuff, the way, you know, that guy would just go around the pub shaking people's hands. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, he was a it's, real it's, character it's, and stuff like that, you know, it's the realism. Well, it's the, and this is the thing I've been, I've been, you know, when, when you, once you learn, once I begin to learn that, I begin, like, I was talking to my parents and they were telling me about this guy called Knock Him Down Frank, who, as you can imagine, why he got that nickname. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, but it's like, that was his name. Everybody knew him. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? It's, uh, but, um, yeah, God, no, they were great. I mean, Please Dale and, and Billy Russell are amazing. Well, there we go, sir. That's our five minutes on the five. That's been five great films shot in Liverpool or in and around Liverpool. Uh, I'll just do a quick rundown of what we've just covered. Uh, we did Waterfront from 1950, Violent Playground from 58, The Reckoning from 1970, Gumshoe 71, and No Surrender from 1985. And we touched on a few others while we were talking. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you about yeah, this film. Great. I've really enjoyed it. No, it's been fun. I mean, it's something I just, I don't know. I, I've always been obsessed by films as a kid. You know what I mean? When I was a kid, I was obsessed. The before and after scenario of what was there in the past. Well, I, I mean, I, I think as I get older, I'm beginning to sort of enjoy seeing the places, even places that I'm not from. You know, you visited places, then you go, you go, you go and you see them now, then you see them in in films from like 75 or 60 or whatever. And you're like, wow, look at how the world's changed. I mean, joking with a friend of mine about how, you know, abroad used to be like an alien world because, because there was no homogeny, was there? There was, when you went to places, it was very like now you go anywhere and there's a McDonald's or Starbucks and a whatever, you know, it's like you can navigate your way around and it looks exactly like any other city you've been to. Whereas there was a time when everywhere had its own character. And I think that's what, a lot of old cinema has has helped us capture, and um, so with your with your graphic novel, then what what's your what have you got an end gate an end date in mind, or are you just going to work through till you get your two hundred? I'm just going to yeah to the end. Yeah, uh, I could do about ten pages a month, I think, hmm. uh, something like that. And then so uh, you know, hopefully by the end of the year, I'll have it there. I keep putting up on my Twitter feed and Instagram. I put like. Uh, a little detail of a page a week. I've been doing that, and that's been quite nice. A lot of people respond to that and start. And I've had people just people people I went to school with because there's a lot of it is Everton and people saying, "Oh, it's the I could do I drew one image." So we said, "Oh, it's the metalwork class from John Hamill and Comprehensive." Because I tried to get pictures, yeah, yeah, to yeah. Like make it look like the hmm. try to make it look accurate. Um, uh, yeah, so, so I put up an image a week, image a week, and then you know, as I get near the time, I think I'm going to do some uh, prints as well. And uh, oh, nice one! You know, but I said I just, just, just keep forging on, and I'll get there in the end. Any film news or anything? Anything you got? Any, anything in the pipeline or any TV work you want to you want to talk? You want to mention? Uh, I'm doing developing different bits and bobs, but I'm doing a, a little short film with Pete McKee, who's a illustrator in. Um, in uh, Sheffield. Okay. But really popular, just really beautiful uh, illustrations. And it's got Janice Connolly doing uh, a voice in it and Craig Parkinson. So, oh, wow. Uh, Jan- Janice Connolly was in um, uh, Phoenix Night. She plays Holy Mary. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I've not done any film stuff. I've not, not, not with, I did some stuff for Sarah Pas- the Sarah Pascoe sitcom. Yeah. Uh, out, of her, out of her mind. I did, did the animation for that recently, but 
Uh, but I've just been, I mean, it's a funny time because, you know, there's animation things going on, but not really um, any shooting or anything. So uh, I've just been doing a graphic novel. Just, I just want to come out of the lockdown and say, I used, I, I did that with it, you know, and something that I couldn't have done, really. I couldn't have done it otherwise. It's too big. I've been a lockdown cliche in the sense that I've, I've, uh, I've written a novel, so I'm, I'm, I'm at 60,000 words now, so I'm close to... I'm close to have done it. And it, like you, it was more, it was as much to say to myself, I did something with the bloody time. That yeah, I because you'll never get that time back again. No, no. Because you, you, as much as I can pretend that I will, the idea that I'm in locked in this routine where I really can't go out my house, it's like I might as well use the time while I'm here. Yeah. I and mean, it's just, it's just traveling. You know, you realize all the time you take to travel to town, to go here, to do, I cycle everywhere mm. and you can't do anything when I'm on the bike. But True. I've put it's on about a stone, but I've <laughs> sort of, but then I, but then I just, just get up. I just draw and draw and draw, you know, it just, and I've really enjoyed it actually. I've made it my morning routine now. I, I get up and the first thing I do before anything is I write a thousand words almost as a stream of conscious. So I don't always know what I'm going to do. I know where I'm going ish, yeah, but I'm yeah. always surprised myself and I'm really enjoying that process because compared to screenwriting, prose is so much more flexible. And yeah, yeah, yeah. the limits on what you can and can't do don't exist. Yeah, yeah. So if yeah, you want to go yeah, in somebody's yeah, yeah. head for a page, you can. It doesn't nobody it yeah, doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, look, I I just it just gives me to say thank you very much for giving us your time on the Britflitch podcast. No worries. And uh, it's been great fun. I've enjoyed it. It's been great fun. But don't call me bollocks. Look, lads, first of all, what are you? And what exactly are you doing here? With a band. Not yet, you're not. Have you got a confirmation card? No, but I've got my first Holy Communion certificate. Oh, what I <laughs> Can you do Glenn Miller? You mean fly off in the fog? <laughs> you fucking fly in a minute. All right, fellas. Now, no offence, man, but there's been a mistake made. There's nothing down for you here. It's as simple as that. There'll be 400 people in here tonight, and every single sodden one of them will have a bus pass and a pension book. They'll want to get legless, have a nice dance, a few laughs, lots of bingo, and sing a song at the end. Now be honest. Is that you? For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.